Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're on Long Final, Ireland's aviation podcast. From Squawk 7000. Uh, so I'm Michal Sheridan. I'm the Chief Executive at the Irish Community Air Ambulance Charity. Michal, the idea of a charity-operated air ambulance, how has that come about in Ireland? Yeah, so it, it actually came out of an original service that was ground-based in West Cork, and, and that grew out into organisations like West Cork and East Cork Rapid Response and also, for your listeners on the East Coast, Wicklow Rapid Response. And then I suppose really just some people got together and realised that as a country, Ireland really had an underdeveloped HEM service. So 13 years ago, a government established a, a base in Athlone, which is obviously operated by the Air Corps. But for the rest of the country, really, there was nothing. And particularly, it was identified that the southwest. Um, this part of the world really so Cork, Kerry even cl- up as far as Clare were, were underserved very remote very rural areas uh, difficulties sometimes even getting ground ambulances into locations because of the remote nature of some of the incidents so really from that I suppose the discussion started about five years ago about establishing a, a charity funded air ambulance service and then we went live here in um, July 2019 so operational now about 23 months and if we do a comparison between Ireland and the UK uh, in, in the operation of uh, you know, helicopters and, and their availability. What are we looking at? So what you're looking at really, I suppose, is a, a really good example of a country that has a very developed service would be Wales. So Wales is a population of 3.2 million people, very similar geographically. Now a little bit more mountainous, obviously, than Ireland. Um, but Wales has four helicopters. So, we, so a helicopter for every 800,000 people. Uh, even the north of Ireland, population of about 1.2 million, and they currently have one air ambulance service up and running. And Ireland has one charity-funded air ambulance uh, for a population of 5 million. So you can see straight away where, uh, where the gap is. Uh, so even in the UK, it's you know, 1.5, 1.6 million people per, per heli. So the area we do cover here, uh, which is primarily Munster at the moment, we are covering an area of 25,000 square kilometres, and that is a, there is a population of about 1.4 million people within that. So... For our one helicopter, we're close to the others, but the, the challenge really is, I suppose, um, the opportunities that lie in the future for us and for other organisations potentially uh, around looking at the HEMS network nationally and seeing, I suppose, seeing the part that we can play in ensuring that Ireland is as good as Wales, Scotland, England and, and further afield. 
I'm just thinking about the idea, though, that, um, you know, the National Ambulance Centre are more than happy to work with you. It's it's not a question of anybody stepping on anybody's toes. But what's the reluctance to have more? I, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's because maybe it's it's relatively new. So if you think about the fact that the Air Corps service in Athlone was established in, in uh, 13 years ago mm-hmm. uh, and, and really was providing a service to the country from from the central point. But one of the challenges you have now is with increased populations, uh, people are moving faster. So then you're looking at increased trauma. And if you have a single helicopter based in the centre of the country that's tasked to uh, the west coast or the northwest coast, uh, and something happens somebody uh, somewhere else in the country, probably within this region, mm-hmm. uh, the answer then is, you know, the, the question I suppose is why should people in this part of the country not have equity of service in terms of being able to access um, an air ambulance and and really the difference I suppose is what we talk to people about is the big difference that helicopters offer uh, is twofold one is getting crew there very quickly uh, in a lot of cases ground crew are there the national ambulance service ground crew are there before anybody else um, but I think it's really as well about making sure that if there's a need for somebody to be transferred to hospital to the best hospital then it's really about having a helicopter available. And some people might even have the idea, sure, it's a bit of a notion to have a helicopter. Uh, we're only a small country. Can you give me some of the numbers of actually how, how your team have been tasked? It, probably put it in context. Yeah, so we're actually not far. Probably in, in May of this year, we'll, we'll, be tasked, we'll have been tasked a thousand times. So last year, which is our first full year in operation, we were tasked just under 500 times. Uh, and what we know in terms of the types of taskings, the main taskings we're getting and, and we got last year were to road traffic collisions, uh, followed by uh, cardiac arrest um, and then medical conditions that we would classify as cardiovascular. So uh, chest pain, heart attack, so a STEMI heart attack, uh, stroke, and then right down to things like farming accidents. So about this year in particular, about 15% of our taskings so far have been to farm related accidents. So what we see is we see when we look at our heat maps in terms of our taskings for last year, very much in rural remote areas, very much out to West Kerry, West Cork, right down along the coast of West Clare, uh, over as far as Dungarvan. Um, our furthest tasking last year uh, was to Clifton. Um, and sometimes what can happen, and it happened us earlier this year, it, it can happen that the Air Corps are fogbound and at loan. So earlier this year, for example, we would have gotten a tasking from here to Clifton for a farmer who had been involved in a farming-related accident. And what is happening is, as the call is coming in from that location, maybe a, a wife or a partner or a family member is ringing, uh, the call centre, NAC, in, in, who are part of NEOC in the National Ambulance Service, they're starting to realise that potentially this is, needs not only urgent care on scene, but also is likely to need transfer to hospital. So in that situation, the crew left here, flew to Clifton, worked with the ground crew from National Ambulance Service, stabilised the patient and then transferred the patient to Galway by air. Are we likely to get to a kind of a a junction, though, where somebody will make the call saying this actually should be a national service provided or they look at the UK and say, well, actually, the charity based version works as well? Yeah. So clearly in the UK uh, and right across the UK, so Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, all of the HEMS air ambulance services in those locations are charity funded. Uh, In Ireland, currently, what we would have is in the HEMS space, let's call it, uh, we have we have Air Corps and we have ourselves. Um, and then obviously, when you look at the wider availability of assets, you obviously have CHC as well um, in relation to Coast Guard duties. So, you know, I think one of the things that we are we are asking for is that somebody actually needs to uh, take Ireland 
uh, take the available resources and look at how best everybody... Uh, I, I, I always liken it to a, a rugby team. You know, the CHC, Air Corps are front row, big, strong, able to take on different sort of weather conditions, go further um, and are stronger. Um, you know, we're in Munster, so we would, we would liken ourselves to a Peter Stringer where we're a little bit more nimble, we're very agile, we're off the ground in under four minutes and, you know, we can land in, in the back garden of a house um, because of the size of our aircraft. So, uh, you know, I do think that as a country, and as I said earlier on, there's a little bit more development to be done, but I do think um, what needs to happen is somebody actually needs to, to look at the country as a whole, look at all of our needs, be it offshore, uh, be it search and rescue, be it EAS and HEMS, uh, and look to see, well, what is the best way to do that? And also then, who are the best people to do that? And if we're judged as being the best people to be involved in HEMS and, and EAS, then that's something we'll step up to do. Uh, it will require, obviously, further investment in terms of funding, but it's something we're ready to do. And, and you know, we do have ambition here uh, that nobody in Ireland will be more than 30 minutes from an air ambulance service. If that's us doing that or if that's part of a system, then, you know, we we as citizens and me as a dad and as a as a son of parents who live in a, in a rural area, if that means that the state steps up to do it and, and we end up stepping back, then it's not a great result for the country. But but at this moment in time, we're doing what we're doing. We're doing it really well. We're being tasked significant, significantly. We know, too, that we offer really good value for money to our donors. So um, our annual cost to run the service, the helicopter service alone, apart from our ground services, our vehicles, is about 1.55 million. So that works out at an average cost of about 3,500 euro per tasking. Now, we know nobody can compete with that. So, you know, that's the argument as well for having charity involved is we do offer uh, a level of agility and ability to respond quickly um, and move very fast. Where do you get that money from then? Uh, donors, um, very generous individuals who every month give us some money um, on a regular basis. So they become, there are what we call our friends. Uh, we have people who have taken part in events like Marching Through March uh, or 100K Your Way in May. Uh, we have uh, companies as well who've been involved in supporting us. So really, if you think about fundraising, now, apart from COVID, if you think about fundraising, we're looking at securing support from philanthropy, uh, from corporate donors, um, working with corporate partners, the general public, whether they're hiking or cycling or they are making regular monthly donations. Um, it, it's really just that what we would call our fundraising mix. Um, and again, one of the things that we are looking to do and to work with some organisations on is we know that we're flying a lot to remote rural parts of certainly the southwest coast. We also know there are a lot of people overseas who've been successful, uh, who may have family still living in those areas. So again, we're having some conversations with some organisations about reaching out to the diaspora and seeing what, what might be possible. But, but purely true, I suppose it's the answer to your question is, is fundraising in the same way as any charity would be fundraising, we, we, we would be exactly the same. But it's also a small percentage of the amount of money that is actually in circulation for charity. And so, so you have to stake your claim. We do. And the, and the problem is we talk about this all the time in the, in the charity sphere is there's a pot of X size mm. and we really have two choices. We can either fight for the same amount of the pot and as more charities come on board and as newer charities are created, then clearly our share of the pot gets smaller. The other opportunity we have is to work together collectively to make the pot bigger. Um, you know, and that's really what, what we would be looking to do. The challenge that we have here, I suppose, and also the exciting opportunity 
this organization, probably in its very early days, was, was more like a social enterprise and it grew out of that model. What we're now looking to do, obviously, is to, is to build out more like a charity model. And what we really want to become genuinely is, is one of the charities of choice. And we see that from the UK and um, particularly Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland. It, their air ambulance charities are almost, you know, in their top three, four, five, because they realise that any day you could have an incident or an accident and you pick up the phone and ring 999, there's every possibility that there could be an air ambulance landing in your back garden or on the road beside where you've crashed your car. If you think about uh, the future of this then, uh, what's, the, what's the vision or the image that you're working towards? Yeah, so while we're the air am- so while we're Irish Community Air Ambulance, really we, we, at this moment in time we're looking at two or three different component parts of that. One is the helicopter service, so the air service, and the other side of that as well as our ground service. So we're probably not very well known for the fact that we would have what we would call our rapid response vehicles uh, on the ground in certain parts of the country. We actually have four in Dublin. Uh, we have one doctor in Dublin who in the last three months has been tasked a hundred times and, and has also been carrying out roadside, minor surgical roadside procedures to stabilise a patient maybe who's been involved in a very serious RTC. Uh, we have one in Donegal, we have one in Mayo, we have one in Cork and also in, in Kilkenny uh, and in and Offaly. And what we want to do is to make that ground service more visible. You know, really for us, we're, we're part of a system. When we're tasked, our helicopter becomes part of the response. So we become an asset to the National Ambulance Service. You'll be speaking to, to Donna, our pilot. Donna obviously is, is part of the team here, but the crew in the back, the medical crew, are National Ambulance Service. And really, obviously, they couldn't fly without us and we couldn't get the care to people without them. So some people will be interested in a new helicopter coming. Yes. Now, I, I won't pretend to be an expert in helicopters, but we we currently have two 109E powers. Uh, they're Leonardo or Augusta Westland. In late May, we're taking delivery of a 109S. And I suppose it's really exciting for us. The first thing is actually... What will be very different is it will carry its own branding, which will sort of be the impetus for us to start to develop all of our other branding out of that. So everything will be connected. So in time, when people see a very bright red and yellow helicopter in the sky uh, or landing uh, close to their home or in their local town or village, that they'll start to recognise that uh, that is us. It gives us the opportunity to actually start looking at could we play a role in training uh, people. So in, in UCC at the moment, there's a, a new programme for critical care paramedics part of the module of their training is a requirement that they have some aeromedical experience. So that the larger cabin in the back will actually give us that opportunity. Um, it also potentially means the crew can bring a little bit more equipment on, on board as well if needed. So um, yeah, it'll, it's just really exciting for us. It's a, it's a really a fresh start. It's our, it will reflect our, our, our new colouring, our new branding. And then obviously in terms of its capabilities to fly further faster, which is really what we've been talking to people about uh, it's just an exciting time. My name is Donna Verling. I'm the pilot with the Air Ambulance Base down here in Rathcool in County Cork. We're currently sitting in the back of our duty aircraft for today, G Rescue. So it's a G Reg uh, 109E, which is what we're using at the moment. Company is with as a result of Brexit. We're transitioning from uh, Sloan uh, UK to Sloan Ireland. We're currently in the process of applying for an AOC. Um, so it'll be a fully Irish company operating down here with um, 
the Irish Community Air Ambulance. People will be very interested in in the specs of the machine in terms of uh, how you operate it speed wise and stuff and even the distances that you can cover and why this location? The original plan so that there's already an, an air ambulance based in, in in Athlone that's operated by the Irish Air Corps and uh, I suppose geographically the the original idea behind that one was that it's the middle of the country so it's someone took a pin stuck it in the middle of the country and decided uh, there's one air ambulance so uh, it's it's maximum reach uh, is from that geographical location mm-hmm. the setup down here when it was initially fundraised and and, and mooted the uh, John Kearney who would have been kind of the founder of the Irish Community Rapid Response the, the forerunner to the community air ambulance he's from down this part of the world and and the need was identified down here so this is where they did most of their fundraising this is where they did a lot of their their, their initial setup with uh, West Cork Rapid Response so they had a like a a network of doctors and cars and stuff and and, and they saw the requirements and the, the 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 opportunity was there for them to, to to set up an air ambulance so i think the original plan was that it would be based in cork airport uh, or you know like that would have been the, the some of the initial thinking mm-hmm. that, that it might be based in cork airport but but obviously this was all pre covid and the idea of First of all, Cork is very much uh, susceptible to fog, so for a VFR operation, which was which what it was going to be, uh, that would have affected maybe the the availability of the aircraft. Like you can have a beautiful gin clear day down in, in Bishopstown in Cork, and and it's uh, IFR up in Cork Airport. In you clouds. know, yeah, yeah, it's in the yeah. clouds. So in in the course of and and there was also the cost factor, like to to have an air ambulance operation within a an. An, a major international airport, which Cork was at the time. So they looked again, looked around, and by happenstance, they came across. They, they ended up here. Now I don't know exactly what the uh, relationship or how it came about, but Rathcool, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's uh, it's just outside Mill Street in in County Cork. So geographically, as it has turned out, it, it's a perfect location for an air ambulance now I say it's perfect there are obviously shortcomings in that uh, we're not co-located with a hospital so the ideal would be for any air ambulance that if you can be co-located with a hospital or in, in a hospital location that's obviously the the better option um, but Ireland isn't really set up for that at the moment um, but in terms of our ability to reach casualties to, or call outs from within our, our area of operation we're ideally suited. We're like uh, almost equidistant between Tralee Hospital, Limerick Hospital and Cork Hospital. It's a single pilot operation for you yeah. then. So what are some of the particular challenges you face taking this machine, what, to the side of a road, to a farm field? Yeah, I mean, the it, it is a single pilot operation with the addition of the a TCM, so the technical crew members. So the, it's a, the normal setup for us is a, a three-person crew. Mm-hmm. So there's a pilot, there is the lead medical personnel from the National Ambulance Service, who is always an advanced mm-hmm. paramedic. And then there's the second National Ambulance Service personnel who is either uh, an emergency medical technician or uh, an advanced paramedic as well. So that the, the medical fit that those guys have is, is one setup. But all of them then have also been received an element of aviation training. So 
there's a, an EASA recognition for the, the qualification of TCM or technical crew members. So there's laid down criteria for what they have to do, what uh, qualifications they have to hold on to. So they do things like dangerous goods, they do uh, air law, they do a bit of uh, communication. They get courses in, in navigation and they are basically there to act as a, I suppose you'd say a a very junior co-pilot. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. So they, they can't, they don't have access to fly the aircraft, but they can do yeah. things like read checklists, hand your maps, they, they assist with the navigation. Yeah. A, another requirement is that they, ha- they have to have CRM training. So they, they get same CRM training as, let's say, a, 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 the rest of the flight crew. Yeah. So when we do our CRM, our annual CRM training, yeah. uh, in line with the EASA requirements for the, whatever, the three-year rolling uh, CRM criteria. So they do all that as well. What's your flying story that has you sitting here in the afternoon in the wind in Cork? <laughs> Well, back when Pontius was a pilot, I I joined the Air Corps in 1989. So I did, uh, I went, when I did it, I joined as a cadet first. Mm. So I did my full uh, crawling around in the mud, learning how to... <laughs> in the car. Uh, in, in the car, yeah. I did a full 18-month cadetship, got commissioned as a second lieutenant, and then did my wings course uh, in Baldonnell. And I got my wings, my Air Corps wings, in 1992. Any classmates' names that people would know? There's my myself and my brother were both in the same class, so there's uh, wow. two Verlings. After that, Paul Whelan, who would be Paul, is in the IAA. Shane Bonner. Uh, I, I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're all. Still I, as well, you're just proving a point for us here at Squawk Seven Thousand is that once a guy has uh, you know been in that system, there's a lot of his buddies still around. At oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, the, the major all of our guys like. Martin Timmons would have been in Ryanair for a very long time. Um, John Flanagan uh, still in and out of Ryanair. So yeah, there's guys, mm-hmm. classmates, and we're all. There was eight in our class. I think we started off with sixteen guys in, in our wings course initially. So the, we flew the white Marchettis up in in Gormanston yeah. uh, back in the day. Uh, edited down from um, mm-hmm. sixteen down to about eight uh, in pretty short order. I uh, so I did. I flew PC nines for a while, instructed on that, uh, and then uh, back into helicopters again, flying the one three five, one three nine, and then in two thousand and thirteen, I retired and went to Oman to the Royal Oman Police. Myself and my wife and kids moved out to Oman for, and we were there for about six years. So I was flying and instructing with the Royal Oman Police. Uh, which was interesting. It's a beautiful part of the world, yeah. So that was good fun. And then my kids got to sort of school-going age and we looked at my... I'm in the unfortunate position that I actually like my family, so (laughs) we decided my kids were getting to sort of secondary school age as well. So wherever we went to next, we would stay for the kids kind of secondary school type. So you're talking eight, the, the age of, of my kids at the time, you were looking at eight to 10 years. So we couldn't, while we were very much enjoying our time in the Middle East and, and uh, Oman is a very friendly and welcoming country. And we, I had a great time there, great respect for, for the people and the flying was fantastic and it was, it was good fun. But we couldn't see ourselves staying there for a further 10 years. So it was time to to move <laughs> our our normal routine is uh, we're on duty here from for a 10 hour shift so you come in th- when you come in first thing in the morning you've half an hour of check a and the aircraft make sure that's all it's doing all the things that it should be doing that as i said it's a check a that the, that the, the pilot will do 
and then you go make yourself a cup of coffee. <laughs> and on the day that you do the six calls, you just about get your first cup of coffee done because you've had it while you're doing the brief. Phone rings nearly before the brief is over, and you go, right, we're off. And then even a short job is a two is nearly a two-hour one. So once you go 15 minutes away, so a 15-minute flight, once we land the minimum patient contact that the guys have when you land on scene, it's going to take 15 or 20 minutes for them to assess what's going on with the casualty, what treatment do they need, and start the treatment. And then the more involved ones, can that can go on to 45 minutes. or So they will stable, treat and stabilize the patient on scene first before we put them into the aircraft, obviously. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So my name is Paul Trainer. I'm an advanced paramedic uh, supervisor with the National Ambulance Service. And I'm currently uh, based here at Raccoon Aerodrome on Helimed 92. Paul, the, the, the reason that a helicopter would attend a scene means that you're you're usually facing fairly challenging cases. So, yeah, so we can either be facing uh, very significant medical challenges mm. or uh, geographical challenges or a combination of both. Mm. So there's there's hundreds of 99 calls made to the National Ambulance Service every day, but only a very small number of them would ever mm. um, flag as, being, as requiring a helicopter. So we're looking at stuff like um, significant road traffic collisions, farming accidents... Uh, some of the acute cardiac stuff, patients having heart attacks, cardiac arrests, strokes, um, and and having those 
very remote from the more suitable mm. hospital. And I suppose people would think, you know, once upon a time you called an ambulance, the patient was scooped up and brought off as quickly as they could. You actually find yourself treating the person on site first. Yeah, so 20 years ago or close to it when I started, we were still doing a lot of, on the ambulance, a lot of, of scooping people up. Uh, thankfully, we we've been have a lot of lot more training mm. uh, to third level. We have degrees and masters and stuff like that done, um, and we have a lot of equipment, medication, and we would aim where possible to try and stabilise a patient at the scene. Mm. Um, be that their their heart isn't beating, we'll try and restart it. They're not breathing effectively. We'll we'll try and sort that out. They have an airway issue, uh, or they're in severe pain. A lot of the p- people we go to have very significant um, musculoskeletal injuries causing pain. Mm. So we can try and reduce that, uh, package them appropriately, and at the same time figure out where's the best hospital to to take them to. How's the decision made that you end up attending rather than a a land ambulance, for example? So it's always in combination. It's very seldom that the aircraft would be at a call in isolation. So we're going either in support of a ground crew Mm. who have got to a patient first, recognise that their condition is serious enough to warrant the helicopter or we're going, we're being dispatched in tandem with them. So, so some of the very serious road traffic collisions, it's very obvious to the control centre that this is significant, mm-hmm. multiple patients, maybe multiple serious injuries in an area that doesn't have a hospital that can deal with it. So we would get sent at the same time as the ground crews. Sometimes the ground crews get there and go, this isn't as bad as we first thought. You can send the helicopter down mm. or more often than, than not, we will end up landing with them. And they sometimes we all come to get there together. Sometimes they get there a good bit in front of us. Um, and then we'll, we'll decide then, obviously we only take one patient in the helicopter. Mm. So we'll decide occasionally we've had to rec- call a second helicopter in um, or we need to find and triage the patient that's best suited to come with us. That's an interesting word that you've used there, to just triage somebody. So you're, you're making a decision about who what, has the, the most life-threatening injuries or, or, or sustainable recovery. Yeah, it, it can be very difficult, certainly in multi... Yeah, so, so triage really only comes mm. into effect in, in multi-casualty. Yeah. 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 Um, so, for instance, uh, we might be down in Kerry, we might have just said, make it easy for me, two patients in a road traffic collision. One of them has, say, multiple fractures, but they're not, um, they're not life-threatening mm. and they can be maybe brought to the local hospital in Kerry. The other one might have more significant chest injuries or head injury that's best suited in, or th- their treatment would be best in Cork University Hospital. Mm. That, it, it may, that's fairly easy. We will take the most critically ill to CUH mm. rather than them going to Tralee. For people listening, can you describe the environment we're in here at the back of the helicopter? Because it, it is, it is, it's cosy. Yeah, it's cosy. Yeah, that's a lot of people say. Oh, it's very small. It's mm. it's very confined. We we like to, we prefer to call it cosy. Mm. Um, it's about the size of a little bit smaller than your maybe half the size of your your box room at home. Mm. Uh, on the left hand side, we have a, a trolley for one patient. Underneath it, we have multiple oxygen cylinders and some emergency airway equipment. At the head of the stretcher, we have a suction unit, which is, if for anyone that hasn't seen one, mm. when you go to the dentist and they're, they've done some work and they're suctioning yeah. the secretions out, and that's what we use for um, clearing somebody's airway. At the foot of it, mounted up above there, the patient's uh, lower legs, we have our Zal AD monitor and defibrillator. Um, that's a vital piece of equipment for us. Currently on the stretcher, we have strapped down three um, large bags. One of them is what we call our basic life support bag. We have an advanced life support bag. 
and our drugs bag, which carries all our medication. And you have packed these and you know everything that's in there? So every morning, yeah, yeah. there's, a, there's yeah. an extensive checklist. Mm -hmm. They all get taken out. Everything is checked, all the drugs, make sure they're in date, mm -hmm. all of the equipment that we need, and then mm -hmm. they're they're packed back in. So we mm -hmm. so just, just a crew of three on the aircraft. So obviously we have our pilot, Donna, and uh, we have an advanced paramedic today, myself, and mm -hmm. Ed Walsh, who's an emergency medical technician. So myself and Ed will go through all this in the morning and make sure mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's as what we need. I'm thinking about the situation where you've arrived at a scene, you've uh, you know, stabilised the patient and they're now in the helicopter heading to the hospital. Can, what can you do in this space? Um, so the beauty of, of this aircraft is that uh, the 109, we can get very close to the scene. Mm. It, it has a much smaller footprint, much smaller downdraft than, mm. than some other aircraft that are used for, for HEMS. Uh, we shut down at every call. So we're never on the ground. You you might see some services around mm. the, the country, around the world, where they're their rotors running yeah. at the scene and I've done that and that works mm. uh, with, mm. with certain aircraft but the disc is quite low on this um, so we will always shut down we can do a lot of we, we would do 90% of our work I would say mm. at the scene with mm. the patient either either in their vehicles in their homes in their farmyard sometimes at the side of the aircraft before we finally load them um, so things that we're doing en route uh, worst case scenario mm. we're, we're providing ventilation support so we're actually breathing for the patient using a, a bag valve mask. Um, other than that, we're providing ongoing analgesia or pain relief. Mm. We're monitoring their, their vital signs, uh, defibrillate them if their heart was to stop and go into a, a shockable rhythm if that was required. Um, but I suppose to, to answer the core of your question, most of the work we do, the, most of the medical work is done at the scene mm. and it's just continuity of that while en route. So we, we would seldom start a new intervention in the back Once of the aircraft, in, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it's, we, so there's a lot of thinking two and three steps ahead mm. uh, and that only comes with experience. Then. How did you end up in this job and, and you know, find yourself sitting here as said in an airfield in Cork? Yeah, that's a good question. I suppose um, I'm originally from Kilkenny. Uh, my dad was a retained firefighter in Kilkenny for 40 years. He retired as station officer there in Kilkenny. So, mm. so I grew up around the corner from a very busy retained fire station. So I think... There's a bit of smoke in my blood. That's <laughs> that's where my, my grow for the emergency services came. Yeah. Um, and it, kind of in the early 2000s, the, so around 2001, 2002, the ambulance services, which were then all individual health mm -hmm. board run, mm -hmm. were starting to take on lots of people as emergency medical technicians. I went for it. I went for a couple of different places. I got Cork. I said I'd come down here, do the training with a view to going back to, to um, Kilkenny. Yeah. And nearly 20 years later, with two different helicopter jobs and a fiance and two kids and two ho uh, on, on second house and all that. So I'm still in Cork. Yeah. Um, so I've done my advanced paramedic training through UCD in 2006, uh, which was one of the first AP courses that was um, run. Um, and then in 2013, I started working on Air Corps 112 up in Athlone, so which um, I was on a rotation. So I would do about 10 weeks. I was based in Cork City Ambulance Station at the time put 10 weeks in Cork City on a ground ambulance, which was my normal job. Then I would rotate to Athlone, do 10 weeks, four days on, four days off on the helicopter, and then rotate back to... So that, that went on for six years. So that... I, I was always interested in aviation as a... I had radio-controlled model airplanes, which is a bit of a nerdy thing, but anyway, you know, it, was, it was good fun, um, expensive hobby. And so this was... I was able to tie work and that interest together. And then my time with the Air Corps really cemented that... Um, it was time after six years of being away from home a lot, it was time to stay at home a bit more. Mm. And that coincided with um, the Irish Community Air Ambulance mm. going live. Mm. And I got I got posted here then. So, 
What would be your uh, opinion of people learning first aid? The, for the average man or woman in the street, what, 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 what should they know? So, yeah, so first aid, I suppose, is a very broad term. Mm. And, yes, everybody should learn first aid, preferably as a, as a child, because it's something that will stay with you for mm. life. But if I was to pick one, one piece of first aid, it's CPR. And if I was to pick one piece of CPR, I would say ch- to, to be able to recognise cardiac arrest and to be able to do chest compressions. Mm. So of all of the, you know, if you go on a first aid course and they're all very well run by lots of companies, you do bandaging and how to deal with a burn and, and mm. bee stings and all that kind of stuff. Cardiac arrest is life-threatening. Um, every 24 hours, about 13 or 14 people in Ireland have a sudden out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and currently the survival to discharge from hospital is still less than 10%. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done there. We've had some very significant successes in cardiac arrest patients in this region. Um, but we're, we're only one part of that chain of survival. And the first most important link in the chain of survival is recognising somebody has had a cardiac arrest. And when I say cardiac arrest, I mean they're unconscious, mm. they're, they're not breathing effectively, they've changed colour. So ultimately their heart has stopped, the pump has stopped moving blood and oxygen around their body. Um, and the first chain of survival is recognising that. The next chain is to start chest compressions, call for help, and then there's a chance that we'll be part of that mm. chain of, of help. Uh, but that, yeah, learn CPR. Gets the person into, the, into at least the right percentages anyway. Exactly, yeah. So you're going to pump blood around their body. Without CPR, after about eight minutes, the oxygen levels will be so low in your body that your brain has taken a, mm. a hit that's it's not reversible. Mm. So, Do you ever hear from people that you've uh, helped with through the helicopter? Uh, occasionally, yes. Um, I suppose we, we would often take an interest and, and we would, we're lucky in, in, on this aircraft in that we generally only end up in two or three hospitals. So sometimes we're back in the next day. Mm. We might ask how people get on. We would never actively go look to speak to people sure. if they want to come and speak to us. Um, that's mm. fine. And we've recently had, I suppose, two, um, one, two young people, uh, both ladies who have had one a cardiac arrest and one who had a very significant trauma who when they seen Irish Community Air Ambulance and, and seen that how it was set up and it was a charitable organisation that they came and said listen we'd like to maybe tell our story and mm. so I've got to meet them and it's, it's good to see them on their, their road to recovery and it, it, it can be difficult I, I would have seen and done things at their calls mm. that they don't remember and, mm. it, and it, so it's a fine line between um, helping them move on by, by coming maybe to the base and seeing the aircraft um, without maybe adding to re-traumatizing yeah, somebody without, yeah, yeah without adding yeah. things in that they didn't yeah. know about yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so occasionally it's it's thankfully most you know I suppose there's, we don't go to very minor stuff but a lot of the people that we go to make very good recoveries unfortunately there would be a significant number of people we go to who, who don't recover and, mm. and, and die from either their illness or their injuries um, and then there are that small group that'll come back to say hello but the importance of the, 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 the rapid response is really what we're focusing on in this chat yeah, so we're so we're we're yeah, so it's, it's, we're able to get airborne very quickly. Uh, of course, sorry, while mentioning that, there, how the rapid response, there's a, an invisible element to this team, which is the control centre in Dublin, mm. um, who are identifying the calls. So it's, we're really reliant on them, and the patients are really reliant on them to to be able to sieve through all of the hundreds of calls coming in every day. Mm. When they phone us, so the advanced paramedic takes the call. I'll get the, the general information as to where it is. So they might say, we have a call in, in Kerry, it's in Dingle. I'll tell the pilot that 
he doesn't really need to know a whole lot more than that and what direction we're going in. So he'll check the weather. um, And then we'll, air code is vital. We'd often just get the air code, then we convert that into lat long for for the navigation to the scene. And we're averaging three to four minutes from the phone ringing to wheels up off the pad. Would you recommend it as a career for somebody listening to us? Uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I've I'm nearly twenty years at it. I love it. I don't. Not every day is as <laughs> enjoyable as you know. But yeah. no, overall, it's an ex. I find it's been an excellent career for me. I'm very happy with it. Um, it's anybody who comes into the ambulance service now will automatically enter a degree program. So they will leave with a primary uh, science degree after three years of full time work. So you'll be paid while you're working and studying. It can be difficult, it's, an in, it's intense, you can be away from home because you could be posted, mm. you won't necessarily get to the ambulance station that's nearest to where you live, you could be miles away. Generally most people end up, uh, unlike me, they end up gravitating back to where they came from or yeah. where it suits them. Some people it suits them to stay away and there's lots of it, opportunity then to progress, uh, to go do a masters, become an advanced paramedic and then there are specialised units like the helicopter. I mean there's only probably 15 people in the entire ambulance service operating between the two the two helicopters between here in Cork and the one in Athlone mm. um, but you might be lucky enough to in time well we might have more in time which might be even better though Michal give us your pitch to get people to donate well we're the only charity funded air ambulance in the country um, so if people are looking around for an alternative uh, where it we know of lots of people uh, who have been on holidays in Cork and Kerry or gone travelling for the weekend uh, for a drive um, gone visiting somebody um, and they're out of their uh, you know when things open up and we're, we're through all of this COVID piece you know people are going to be holidaying in West Cork and West Kerry and places like that if you go for a spin in your car and you're unfortunate enough to be involved in an RTC um, you know the sound that you don't want to hear but also the sound that would reassure you is the sound of our helicopter landing um, because if if at that point you hear the helicopter it normally means that you're in a situation where you know, you, you need that level of um, care and you what you're more likely needing is in particularly things like an RTC or even somebody out walking on the beach in, in Castle Gregory and they have a cardiac arrest and it's witnessed then there's a likelihood as well we could get the call. So, you know, for us, I suppose the pitch is very simple. Uh, we, we can operate our service, the air ambulance side of our business for one and a half million euro a year. So for three and a half thousand euro, uh, we're getting to make the difference for somebody in their life and their family. Now, what can often happen is the outcome isn't the one we want, but what means a lot to the families are that kind of, you know, we, we threw the kitchen sink at it for them. And the crew next door um, are really super and experienced at what to do, the, the National Ambulance Service crew. And, and they have lived through that traumatic piece in a family, in a family home where somebody has died suddenly. Um, and we just wanted to, to be able to deliver the level of medical care to the scene quickly. Um, that level of compassion and empathy to the scene as well, that's really important. Um, and also, without an air ambulance and you're in, in Killarney and you've had a motorcycling accident, you're an hour from Cork University Hospital if you've had traumatic injuries that you're required to get there. You're 20 minutes by air. And that 40 minutes in the difference really can be the difference for some people in whether they live or die. You know, so I suppose that's, um, yeah, that's our ask, I suppose. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Long Final from Squawk7000.ie. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and do tell your friends.